You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. And welcome back. I'm Heather Caro. And I'm Father Christopher Cowles. We're broadcasting this morning from Our Lady Guadalupe Parish here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It's a Spanish-speaking parish. For the most part. For the most part. Yeah. Once in a while, you'll get visitors, including my family. (laughs) Yeah. Your family, and depending on how well my brain's working that day, it'll be Spanish or English or some kind of Spanglish. Spanglish. But yeah. Well, I'm excited to have you as my co-host today, Father Cowles. Thank you for saying yes. Glad to. Glad to. I know you've been trying it for some time, and every time I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm busy. I know. I and I'm like, it. if you don't mind, I'm going to continue to harass you. And so. she has. She's very <laughs> persistent. She's knocking on that door, seeking, and one of the days I opened, finally. Yay! So, we're here at Our Lady of Guadalupe, and um, I'm excited to be broadcasting from here, because uh, tell us a little bit about Our Lady of Guadalupe, for those that aren't familiar with it. So, um, Our Lady of Guadalupe Parish was kind of started in 1996. So, it's a relatively young parish, but it uses the existing building of St. Therese. The diocese, and and especially at that time, it would be Bishop Carlson, Mm -hmm. gave the parish building to Our Lady of Guadalupe, and then gave some seed money to this parish of St. Therese to start up uh, a new parish across town. Mm -hmm. Now... Just know, all St. Therese listeners, you are always welcome here. This will always be your home. Um, But it became largely Hispanic, and they've had a lot of transition in these last years. There's been probably seven pastors in the course of 20 years. Wow. Um, And they've been stuck with me for the last four and a half years. The poor people. You have to pray for them. Pray for these (laughs) poor Hispanics who have to deal with me day in and day out. And hear my horrible Spanish. Well, but. and I've always been so intrigued by th- that part of your story, Father, is that Bishop asked you to learn Spanish. Yeah. To become the pastor here. So talk about that. Um, gosh. And folks, I'm not kidding. When I said that he is this tall, white dude with red hair and a big, bushy beard, I mean, he came right out of, what is that, paper towel commercial, you know? Brawny? Brawny. You're thinking I came out of the Brawny commercial? You totally did. You have a plaid coat right over there. Well, I know you're the Brawny yeah. man. Uh, but anyway, so Bishop asks you. So this would have been, <laughs> gosh, this would have been in the spring of 2014. And I get a call from Bishop's representative at that time, uh, Father Justin Walks. And he says, you know, I've got this sheet here that says that you're open to learning a new language. Now, every year we get sheets sent to us from our bishop to say what we're open to doing. And um, I said yes to everything as a young, naive priest. And this is, yeah, I'll do this or that or wherever you want to send me. So Use I, me, Lord. Use yes. me. <laughs> so I, I get this call. It says, I hear that you're open to learning new language. And I thought, my future has just changed completely and totally. Because I knew they weren't going to send me to learn Korean or Vietnamese. I knew it was going to be Spanish. Um but what was so funny is when I was in seminary, I thought, why would I study Spanish when we have one Hispanic parishes, parish in the entire diocese? What are the chances that I would be the pastor there? <laughs> God just laughed He's at that laughing. moment. I says, yes, yes, I'm open to learning Spanish. Um, so they sent me down that summer for two months uh, to Guadalajara in Mexico. And I studied with a teacher for about four hours every morning, two hours for every afternoon. Really? And... Yeah, just very intensive studies. Uh, my brain 
really was hurting most of the days. But nevertheless, um, after I was finished and came back, I was able to practice more and more. Mm-hmm. And it was only six months later after being at St. Michael's, I was assigned to Our Lady of Guadalupe. Um, so it's it's helped a lot having just regular interactions with the Hispanic people in the area. And they're so patient. They're so patient with my Spanish. Um, in the very beginning, I was reading everything off of a sheet of paper. And as time's gone on, I've been able to preach more and more openly mm-hmm. uh, without cheat. But I know I probably still sound like a fourth or fifth grader <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to my Spanish. But it gets them to laugh. And they know I'm trying to do it from my heart. And they're so good. Yes. Yes. They are so good. So uh, about a year ago, and we're um, coming up on Straight Talk, but let's talk about about a year ago, um, there was a tragedy here at Our Lady of Guadalupe. December 19th, this last year, we had a fire um, that began here at the parish. And since that time, there's been a lot of work, a lot of remodeling, and just a lot of coming together as a community, not only of Our Lady of Guadalupe, but the greater Sioux Falls and Mm -hmm. even the Sioux Falls Diocese has come together, really supporting the parish. And it's done incredible work that we never, ever would have expected. Um, the church is so beautiful, praise God. It and is. it's it's not um, because of me. It's because of so many others who've come forward and said, Father, we'd like to help. Father, we'd like to see this happen. We'd like to try this out. We even met up with our pastoral and finance council not too long after the fire and says, this is our opportunity. Let's what do you guys want to do? This yeah. is our chance to do something great with the parish. Well, and I think it's, it's um, timely because it kind of, I'm assuming that it made Our Lady of Guadalupe more of Our Lady of Guadalupe than St. Therese. Yeah. the um, And I can share more details on this, but mm-hmm. the church has basically the imprints of Our Lady of Guadalupe on it now. The whole ceiling is in the image of the tilma uh, with the stars exactly as they were on the 12th of December, 1531. So it's an incredible gift to see the church this way. Wow. That's beautiful. Well, folks, and that means it's time to put Father Christopher Cowles in the hot seat. It is straight talk time where you can call in with any questions that you might have <laughs> for uh, about the faith or um, any questions that you have on current events. 877-795-0122, 877-795-0122. You can call in with your question. We would love to have you this morning. You can also submit any questions that you might have on Facebook. But we do like to hear your beautiful voices call in and ask Father a question. Your beautiful voices. <laughs> Please call in. We would love to hear them. <laughs> that was Father Christopher, just in case you didn't get that impression. By the way, I can also do Father Elmo, if need be, or oh Father my. Stitch. Yeah, wow. these are impressions the kids you love. Are, you are impressive. Elmo loves straight talk. <laughs> <laughs> yep, folks. That Ask him anything you want. 877-795-0122. Again, 877-795-0122. So you're talking about the um, parish ceiling right before we headed into straight talk and as soon as we get a question we'll go back to straight talk 877-795-0122 so describe the beautiful ceiling that's in our lady of guadalupe so we actually took the time to uh, match as best as possible the image of the tilma so the uh it's it's incredible the the ceiling is actually turquoise now which is the color mm-hmm. of uh, the, the mantle of Mary, which represented for those people uh, royalty. So they knew she was a queen immediately upon um, seeing that, that color. 
And then the stars that are on the tilma are actually the exact star formations that were in the sky on the 12th of December. So I got together with some friends, um, another deacon here in our area who did set design for plays in the past, Deacon really? Thane Barnier. Oh. And uh, he... Uh, <laughs> He matched up the ceiling as best as he could with where we had the vents, and he put where the stars would be. Then from there, he came in, he held a projector, I had a 26-foot-long pole with a big, massive permanent marker on the end, really? and then his son was holding the computer, and we just, I just poked where the stars were going to be. Wow. Then got up there with um, some of my parishioners, and we began using stencils and gold spray paint for each one of the stars. That's awesome. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. So what happened after we did the first edges along the side, I, I'm decent with heights, but not perfectly good on uh, scaffolding that's moving around and, and shaking <laughs> in every which way direction. So I was a little bit fearful. Um, but after a while, they noticed that the mask wouldn't fit over my face because I've had this big burly beard at the time. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Father, if, if you're up there too long, you're really high up there and you're going to get high off the spray. So, Father, why don't you come down? And I thought... This is my opportunity. I don't have to stay up here. They can take care of it. (laughs) And the last thing we need to happen is the bishop to find out that father got high while he was up too high and (laughs) fell off the scaffolding and died. So it's very good. It wouldn't make for a good news story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, But nevertheless, it turned out really beautiful. Um, Another person, our painter, actually decided that he wanted to put in some crown molding on the edge of where the ceiling was. So we have indirect lighting that'll light up the ceiling at any time. (gasps) So the church can be completely dark, but that lighting um, just illuminates the stars (sighs) and the sky in a beautiful way. So it's, it really has a real cool feel to it. And it, and I mean, it has now at this point, Mary's imprint. Yeah. We make that phrase all the time. May you be wrapped in Mary's mantle. (laughs) My church is physically wrapped in Mary's mantle now. So I love it. Yeah, absolutely love it. For those of you that are just tuning in, I am Heather Caro, and I'm co-hosting this morning with Father Christopher Cowles, who is the pastor over at Our Lady of Guadalupe Parish here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And we are in the middle of straight talk, so you can call in with any questions that you might have. 877-795-0122. Again, that number is 877-795-0122. You can submit any questions that you might have on Facebook. And we're just chatting about our Lady of Guadalupe, who used to be St. Therese, St. Therese Parish and then got converted to Our Lady of Guadalupe and how you had a fire about a year ago, just coming up on a year here in a few, uh, in about a week and a half, and how actually that fire created Our Lady of Guadalupe. In a certain sense, it did. It's, um, it's been a really interesting thing that people have been like, Father, it sounds like that fire was a blessing to you, like a blessing in disguise. And I'm usually quick to say back to them, would you like me to come to your house and give you a blessing too? <laughs> I'm like, no, no, Father, Father, don't, don't. I'll let it be a blessing for you, but uh, we don't want our house to burn down. No, well, and I remember, I remember seeing um, Facebook pictures when it happened, um, and it was just like it rippled through Sioux Falls, this devastation that it had caught on fire and that, and that it had burned. I mean, it was just like, even though it wasn't my own parish, Mm -hmm. it felt very personal to me. Very much so. Well, there's so many people in the past who were St. Therese parishioners Mm -hmm. who would tell me I was baptized in that parish. I had my wedding in that parish. I had my first communion in that parish. I grew up in that parish. So it's a deep part of the Sioux Falls community. And it's 
second to the cathedral. It's the second oldest church in Sioux Falls. Mm -hmm. So it has a deep and profound history to it. Um, But nevertheless, um, in the midst of these moments, it's allowed for some incredible beautification. Mm -hmm. Um, There's been two different people or two different groups that gave um, money for mosaics to be placed in the front of the church. So we have one of um, Our Lady of Guadalupe appearing to Juan Diego and then placing the roses in his tilma for when he was to bring them to Bishop Zamaraga, um, I believe is how you pronounce it, and brought it to him, uh, which was then later um, transformed the tilma into this incredible, beautiful um, image. Um, So that's one of the images. The other is actually of St. Joseph working with Jesus in the workshop. And it's, it's a beautiful image because I wanted to be very careful about finding an image of Joseph where he's strong and masculine and it looks like he's not the kind of person who would accidentally drop a baby Jesus at any point in time. <laughs> so he's, he's in um, pretty good health, but he's with an adolescent Christ who's probably 12 or 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And they're working in the shop and Joseph is looking upon Jesus with the sense of pride. Mm. Pride in his son, seeing him do this work. And you just get this feeling like, wow, Joseph was a real person and Jesus worked in a real workshop. But along with that, a parish that's Hispanic often has a parish filled with laborers. Mm-hmm. And I wanted one of, of Joseph working to give them the inspiration. Like you are sharing in the work of Christ. You're sharing in the work of Jesus and of Joseph every single day when you go to work. So it's not undignified work. It's Absolutely. actually something that's beautiful. Oh my, I love it. Well, folks, we're talking with Father Christopher Cowles this morning. He's my co-host, and we are in the middle of straight talk. I know we like to hear a lot from Father, but it is your opportunity to direct the conversation. The number is 877-795-0122. Again, the number is 877-795-0122. You can submit any questions that you might have on Facebook. So our last segment, we were talking with Deacon Beyer, and you guys were both talking about a program called Courage, but we didn't really go into what is courage for those that aren't familiar. Courage is an apostle of the church um, that is really highly focused on aiding people um, who um, have same-sex attractions but desire to live the church's teaching on sexuality. It's an incredible gift because it gives people the chance to talk about how they feel, about their desires, about what's in their heart, but at the same time have a comfortable place where no one's going to be judged, mistreated, confused, um, or in any way um, looked upon in a bad way Mm -hmm. because they have that same-sex attraction. As most people know with the Catholic Church, we do not hate people who have same-sex attraction. Amen. We do not hate them. We actually love them as we're called to love every single person. But oftentimes, um, the way things are portrayed in the media is, oh, the church is homophobic and it's bad and terrible. No, the truth is the church loves them more than it loves. Well, it loves all people (laughs) with great and awesome love. Um, But for those who are struggling, for those who are in the midst of brokenness and hurt, we try to show that love even more. Absolutely. So... What uh, Courage, the Apostolate, seeks to do is really to allow them the chance to speak, um, and it gives them the chance to share their perspective and gives them support and love. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and it lets them know that they are supported within the actual church. And there is a website, Courage, I think it's courage.org. I believe Where so. people can go out and check that out if you are interested in finding out more about that program. It's all over the country. So we're going to head on over to the phone. We've got our first call. If you wanted to call in also, our number is 877-795-0122. There's a line open for you, 877-795-0122. And we're going to head on over to Minnesota. Claire, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you so much for calling in. And what question do you have for Father Cowles this morning? Um, I was wondering if you can, in your like prayers for people in purgatory, can you attribute um, plenary indulgences to them? And if you can, what does that like exactly do for them? That is an awesome question. Thank you so much for that, Claire. Um, yes, you can attribute plenary indulgences to souls that are in purgatory. And what it does for them is it allows them entrance into heaven. Um, for those who might be confused about what a plenary indulgence is, it's um, something that the church asks us to do. So a, a form of prayer, usually coupled with prayer for the Pope, um, some kind of act, and then us going to confession, receiving communion. And there's one other part of that, which is where we're, for the most part, um, no longer giving in or attracted to major sins in our life, um, which is the hard part because mm-hmm. most of us still are. But that can definitely um, anytime what we receive an indulgence, we can apply it to those who are in purgatory to allow them that release to enter into heaven, to be with those that they love. And it can even be in a certain sense, anonymous. Um, you can offer that to Mary or to the saints to say, whoever needs this most, who's forgotten in purgatory can yeah. receive this indulgence at this moment. That's beautiful. That makes sense, Claire? Okay. Yeah. So, so like one condition is that you are not like, it can't be just be any plenary indulgence, but also that you're um, avoiding the biggest sins in your life. Yeah, that's a really big part. Um, Our diocesan theologian, Dr. Chris Bergwald, would say, well, I don't know if anyone really (laughs) is free of um, that attraction to sin, concupiscence. And I'd say, Chris, you are correct on that. I think he did a paper on that, and he he, I love how he used his voice, by the way. It wasn't his voice, but, (laughs) you know, we pick on each other. Um but nevertheless, that's probably one of the hardest parts mm-hmm. um, to receive the indulgence. But at the same time, God knows our intentions. Yeah. He knows our desires. And he knows that if you're offering this from the depth of your heart for someone else, of course, he's going to use it. Mm-hmm. That's the way God works. He knows your intentions and he wants to save people. Okay. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you very Claire. much, Claire. Appreciate it. I love that. Well, and I... I, I have I've always said special prayers for those that are forgotten in purgatory. I, that is one of my biggest fears is that somebody's going to get forgotten. Is there special yeah. prayers for that? Um, there are lots of prayers that are focused on praying for people who are in purgatory. Um, there's one of St. Gertrude the Great that's very well known. And while people will say, I'm not sure if it totally works the way it's supposed to, it's never a problem to pray it. They say that every time you pray this prayer of St. Gertrude the Great, it's somewhere between 300 or 500 souls that go from purgatory to heaven. Um, But she received it in a personal revelation. So our goal is that, you know, it opens this up so that she can enter um, or that that they can really enter into that heavenly kingdom. Well, as as humans, I I find it funny. Sometimes we get so hooked up on technicalities. <laughs> and we I love the do. fact that you're like God can see your will, he can see your heart, he can see, you know, and you have to genuinely be, you know, 
but you know, I think that's kind of funny how we get so hooked up on technicalities sometimes. Sure, sure. So we are in the middle of straight talk with Father Christopher Cowles this morning. The number is eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two. Again, the number is eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two. And you can join in on the conversation, change the subject, whatever you would like. It's up to you. You can also submit any questions that you might have on Facebook. So we have an anonymous question written in from Sioux Falls. It says, with the release of the animated French film Paca Mama on December 12th, 2018, which is now out on Netflix, we are so fortunate to have Our Lady of Guadalupe Parish in Sioux Falls to ever increase our fervor toward our true mother. Can you speak to this a little bit? Your comments about idolatry in Paca Mama versus Our Lady of Guadalupe, our true mother. Wow. That's a deep question. It is. Um, I don't know a huge amount of Pacamama, but I'm pretty sure she is uh, considered uh, kind of a, a Mother Earth mm-hmm. um, kind of personality, and especially from the Amazon, um, mm-hmm. where they had the Amazon Synod. They had actually had, um, uh, I had heard that they were actually throwing idols into the Tiber River at that moment in time. I'm not totally sure on yeah, that. Yeah, they did. And then they retrieved them. And they retrieved them. That's good. Um, but uh, <laughs> nevertheless, uh, this being considered... Um, this, this image is, I think, where a lot of people have been drawn in the Amazon to want to wanna protect Mother Earth. And it's good that we seek to protect the environment. We need to protect the environment. As a Boy Scout for many years and seeking to leave no trace wherever I was, I know how important that is. However, we have to be very careful that we don't place um, almost a, a, a kind of godlike belief in nature. And this is often what's happened in, in many of these indigenous cultures where they've made idols or they've made other things that speak to or that, that speak to the, the part in them that says that, well, there's something beautiful about nature and that's good yeah. and it needs to be protected. But we have to be very careful about not making an idol out of nature itself, of saying that it's the most important thing in the entire universe when, in fact, we have to be aware of all of the things in our midst that we're called to protect. Mm-hmm. Life at all of its stages and other areas. Um, but it's so weird that they, they release this on December 12th, which is the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. It's almost like there's a sense uh, of a rise of paganism that's present in our world and our country and throughout, and throughout um, many different countries. And December 12th is the day in which we celebrate when Juan Diego carrying the roses in his tilma, so his cloak, to the bishop um, Zamorraga in Mexico City, offered these roses and she was transformed. The tilma was transformed with her image. And from that moment, the people began to turn to God away from forms of um, idolatry and sacrificial worship to other gods. Mm. So it's it's so odd. It's almost um, uh, a evil form of coincidence that they tried to release it on that day, trying to draw people away from that. But Mary is our true mother. She came and she rescued the people. She came vested and dressed as one of them. And um, she also came with their skin. So here's the cool thing. She comes not as a, um, a Spanish woman. She comes not just as a purely indigenous woman from Mexico, but she comes as a mestizo, as a combination of the two. So when they saw her face, they saw, she's one of us. Now, I don't know with Pachamama or Pacamama if she's one of them, but I know that Mary comes and says, am I not your mother? Do I not care about you and love you? Do I not 
um, desire to watch over you. And this is what we see in this. So she is our true mother. And she comes vested as one of them to bring them away from idolatry, not to welcome them back into idolatry. Um, So we have to be very careful uh, about some of those idols that are still present in the world that can draw us away from who our true mother is or who our true God is. Beautiful. Well, that was excellent answer, Father. I'm going to say that for anonymous. (laughs) (laughs) So if you have any questions for Father Christopher Cowles this morning, he is ready to answer them. The number is 877-795-0122. Again, the number is 877-795-0122. You can also submit any questions that you might have on Facebook, as Clara did. She would like to make a comment in regards to the passing of Bishop Serba. She said he touched many lives. That's so true. It is so true. I know within the Twin Cities, um, with the various parishes that he served, um, he did an incredible work. I believe he was at St. Olaf's as an associate, and um, I I think it was the maternity of Mary. Mary. I'll have to check where he was at for a number of years. But then he was um, a director of spiritual formation at St. John Vianney Seminary, at St. Paul Seminary, and then did incredible work in Duluth. Um, For me, I received spiritual direction from him for the course of two years. And he was just real. He was real in an incredible way and was so, so incredibly wonderful. Um, And just real at all times, but was holy. Mm -hmm. And he showed you how that holiness could come forth. I remember he played racquetball with a lot of the guys in seminary and usually would beat them terribly. Um, But he was always a very wonderful winner. (laughs) Never rubbed it in their faces. Um, And I know that once he got to Duluth, well, the incredible thing is he, he, his degree was not in canon law as so many other bishops are. His degree was actually in spiritual theology. Mm. And he chose to be ordained on the feast of St. John of the Cross, mm. which I saw was so beautiful. No bishop thinks to do that, that I've seen. And he chose this incredible mystic and was asking for people to pray for him in the way that um, John asked people to pray for him so that he could become holy and lead others to holiness. And I think he did mm-hmm. as best as he could in the Diocese of Duluth. Beautiful. Well, I'm glad that we have you on today so that you can talk about your experiences with Bishop Serba. That's really awesome. Another question has come in on Facebook, or if you wanted to call in, you sure can do that too. The number is 877-795-0122. Robert on Facebook asks, the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy states that the use of the Latin language is to be preserved in the Latin rites. How can this be reconciled with most masses that are celebrated exclusively in the vernacular? That's a really good question. That is. It is. I have no idea. <laughs> That's why I'm Thanks. not answering Thanks. the question. Thanks. You're just going to throw it over to me. I understand that. Um, the Constitution of the Sacred Liturgy really focused on the fact that the Latin language is meant to be the priority within the mass. And we, our goal should be to use it um, in whatever country, whatever place you're in, um, that Latin is to be used, especially within the mass parts, because it can aid people, um, no matter who they are, to enter into the mass, mm-hmm. um, whether it be for the Santo or the, the Sanctus, uh, which is the Holy Holy, or the Gloria, um, and also as best as possible to use uh, with the Novus Ordo, the new rite, the Latin, uh, when, it's, when it's available. And I think um, oftentimes that we've, we have been very focused on the vernacular, Uh, because so many people are able to understand the words in their own personal language. For those who do not know, the word vernacular means basically um, the language of the people 
-hmm. that area. So for those in the United States, in English. For Hispanics, typically Spanish. For those in France, a French. Um, So I think the church opened this up very providentially so that they could more deeply encounter the words and uh, unite their hearts with the words in active and full participation in the Mass. However, just as with the Latin, we're called to do the same. You're just called to understand what the Latin says, what it means, mm. and how to unite your heart with it. But I think for so many people, um, there's there's this divide. And there's a divide between people immediately after Vatican II and also in newer generations that love the Latin. Yeah. And I think there needs to be less divide. We are called to come together and to see the, the Latin is not an evil or horrible thing um, when it's actually the universal language of the church. That's a good thing. Uh, but at the same time, to see that the language that the people use often aids them in encountering God on a deeper level. The thing behind all of this, though, is what active and um, participation is. For many people, they just think that it's you know, getting more involved with the mass of taking more roles as Eucharistic ministers or lectors or things like that, which is not bad. That's right. actually good. We need right. those volunteers and that help. But at the same moment, the goal should be to say the mass is about uniting your heart and your mind with the words of offering the same sacrifice that the priest is offering in that moment in your own very heart. And that can be done in the vernacular. And it is also meant to be done in the Latin language. But at times we say, I don't know about all that Latin stuff. That's from the old and from the past. Let's get rid of it and move on. No, I don't think that was the intention of the church. Mm -mm. And at the same time, it's to say, using the vernacular can aid people in drawing more deeply into the gift of the mass itself and the gift of the sacraments. So there needs to be a balance. And at times, this is what we lack. We kind of have this going back and forth of the pendulum that can be a little extreme. Mm -hmm. We need to be aware of that. Beautiful. Well, thank you for that question, Robert. You can submit any questions that you might have for Father Cowles on Facebook, or you can call in at 877-795-0122. Again, the number is 877-795-0122. So I have a question dealing with the Latin um, mass, and I don't know if you will know the answer. So I apologize ahead of time. So my question is, you know, Jesus spoke Hebrew. Mm -hmm. So why is Latin so important? That's a good question. Um, When it comes to the Latin, um, little by little, the church developed, especially its roots, for the Roman Catholic Church in Rome. Mm -hmm. And the main language of Rome was Latin. And Latin became enshrined as the language of the church little by little. Now, for my brothers and sisters who are listening on the radio today, know that I'm not as well studied on this stuff as I should be. Um, And there are lots of my brother priests (laughs) who know a lot more than I do on this. And I apologize for any mistakes I make so that I don't end up getting crucified. We're both doing disclaimers this morning. (laughs) But um, when it comes to the Latin, the Latin became enshrined as the church's language. Um, So much so that from the original Hebrew and the Greek, it would be Saint... um, Oh, I'm forgetting his name. He was known as the irascible doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, One of our, our, uh, the translator of the Vulgate, I'll remember his name in a little bit, but he translated everything from the Greek and the Hebrew into the original Latin and did a phenomenal job. And that became what the Bible, or the Bible that was used by the church for all of those years. Mm. Um, So the church had a long standing tradition of using Latin, especially between, um, it'd be the Council of Trent, 
moving up to the Second Vatican Council, it was the only language that the church used during the course mm. of that time. So very early on. Very early on. Well, the Trent, Trent would be around the 15th and 16th century. That was a reaction of the Reformation. Um, but that was a very important part of the church was the Latin language. And it was popularized and strengthened. But at times, because people didn't understand it, it was often rejected or thrown mm. out. And how are we doing all this stuff in Latin? Well, there's a reason for it. It goes back to... Um, the universality of the church. Hmm. When you went into any church anywhere in the world, you would hear Latin and you knew exactly that this was the mass and it was the same mass everywhere you went. Now at times you get priests with their own personalities like myself um, (laughs) who at times throw their own slant on things in in regards to the mass. And the goal is that the mass is meant to be something that lifts us up. That it's not just the personality of the priest that's the most dominant part of the mass, even though it often is because, well, the priest is human. He's not an angel who's going to do things exactly as God (laughs) says it. And at times, um, we don't exactly know how we're made to present things as best as possible, Mm -hmm. often have our own opinions. Before the Second Vatican Council, there were rubrics that were exactly um, and directly laid out for how a priest was meant to celebrate the mass, from the postures and gestures to the words that the priest said. Um, the postures and gestures are still there, mm-hmm. uh, but at times we as priests can take liberties. Um, and we have to be aware, like we're called to do what it says in those moments and not it just be a show about ourselves, yeah. but a show about Jesus Christ, about his sacrifice of drawing people more deeply into the sacrifice of the mass. Beautiful. Well, and I've always been very interested, you know, like on Good Friday when you get to hear the actual words that Jesus spoke from the cross. And I've always wanted to know what all of it sounds like from, you know, if, if I don't know, I just find, Oh, you're wondering about the, the Hebrew, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Yes. And I want to hear more. I want to hear the last supper in Hebrew and, you know, but that's a whole nother discussion. (laughs) We'll let you look into that one, Heather. You can, you can do that on your own time. I'll put Dr. Bergwald on it. Good, good. <laughs> yeah, because I just find it interesting. I want to know more about Jesus's actual language. I find it fascinating. Of the Aramaic, yeah. I'm kind of a goob that way. But. Yeah, well, I'm a goob where I would like to learn how to speak Elvish from Tolkien, but <laughs> I haven't gotten to that place yet either. I'm trying to work on my Spanish We and have English to have first. goals, don't we? <laughs> we do. <laughs> well, thank you so much for those that called in with your questions for Straight Talk. It's on every uh, day, Monday through Friday from 9.30 to 10 a.m. Central. And uh, we encourage you to call in with any questions that you might have um, for Straight Talk. And we've had a lot of great questions today, so we thank you for that. And we don't want to forget that coming up, we have a break coming up here in just a minute. And on the other side of that break, we're actually having Mark Kinzemius in. He's going to be talking about Christmas at the cathedral, and we are going to give away seven tickets. Now, if you are a family, you can take all seven, but I will give you the more details when we um, go into that segment, but that is coming up next after this break. So, you'll, you know, well, prayerfully yours is coming up first, so we want invite you to pray with us, and then we'll do the ticket giveaway. So... I will move along. So, Mark Kinzemius will be here to share the beauty of Christmas at the cathedral next. And then we're broadcasting from Our Lady of Guadalupe Church here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I'm Heather Carroll. And I'm Father Christopher Calls. Are you sure? 
I Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. All right. And re- stay tuned. We'll be back with more Real Presence Live in just a moment. 